I greet you this morning in Jesus' name, and may his peace and presence be with us as we continue to look into his word this morning. Some of you perhaps remember Brother John Ivan's message three weeks ago, a New Year's message, where he outlined three possibilities for this new year, 2013. He said, Number one, we may live through the year. Number two, we may die. Number three, the Lord may return. <clears throat> that was the possibility. And my message this morning is somewhat of a sequel to his message. Uh, when Brother Steve asked me several weeks ago if I would bring the message this morning, I had been thinking of this passage in 1 Thessalonians, particularly verse 23 in chapter 5. So we want to look at that this morning in light of the possibility that Christ may return in 2013. I've titled the message, Making It Through to Glory. We're here. We're here in this life. We're looking ahead, hopefully. And uh, the message this morning is, in, is designed to wake us up to that, if, to that possibility. Perhaps some of you are at least somewhat like I am. We get so involved with the nitty-gritty of this life, the issues of this life, that we tend to forget uh, the reality and the imminence of Christ's return. It fades into the background. We're involved with the here and now. And along with that busyness, perhaps comes a bit of carelessness creeping in. Hopefully, though, we are not as the people to whom Peter was writing uh, in Second Peter. He talks about scoffers. Uh, those scoffers um, derided the possibility of Christ's return because it had been preached, nothing had happened, and so they were saying, well, it probably just never will. But we know the folly of such an assumption. Jesus promised that he would return, and he is always true to his word. And because his coming is delayed, is no excuse or no reason to doubt its reality or to grow lax in our anticipation, our alertness, and our preparation. So in our text today, and Brother Jerry has read from the middle of the fourth chapter through the end of this fifth chapter, but in our text today, in its immediate context, Paul has been giving the Thessalonian believers teaching and instruction on the Lord's return. He had previously spoken to them of the, Lord, of the imminence of the Lord's return, and that resulted in some of them thinking, well, it's going to happen right now, and so they became lax. They quit doing their normal activities. They neglected their normal duties, and they were simply sitting around waiting for the Lord to return. Others, as we read the passage, 
had concern about their loved ones who had already passed on. What would happen to them? How would they fit into the scheme of things when the Lord returned for his, for his people? So Paul wrote to clarify these issues. And then as he closes this first letter to the Thessalonians, he calls them to alertness, uh, to alert watchfulness and holy living as they anticipate that day. And then he closes with our text verse where he says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's see what this text has to tell us this morning. First of all, there is anticipation. And a coupled, coupled with the anticipation, there is the certainty. As we notice the last part of chapter 4, Paul doesn't speak in, in nebulous terms, but he said the Lord is coming, and here's the way things will work out when he comes. So there was certainty. It was the basic premise of his ministry that Christ would one day return to earth to take his followers home, to be with him in heaven, and there to be forever free from the inroads of evil, and there to enjoy God's presence and favor forevermore. He had instructed the Thessalonian believers in this premise, and it is the basic belief of all those who have accepted Christ's salvation, Jesus is coming again. Of that, there is no doubt. But we noticed in the first part of chapter 5 that there is some uncertainty. But the uncertainty is only in light of the timing of the event, as Paul writes here. The timing was unknown. No one knows the day or the hour when Jesus will return. In fact, Jesus said there in Matthew 25, 13, talk, talking to his disciples, he said, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And in Mark 13, uh, 32, he said that that knowledge belongs to the Father alone. So in this passage, then, Paul describes two attitudes, two basic attitudes towards the Lord's coming. There are those, as Peter wrote, who are scoffing. In verse 3 of this chapter, there were some who were saying, well, peace and safety, everything is going on as it normally has. Why get all worked up about this possibility of the Lord's return? Peter says that these scoffers are willingly ignorant of the fact of Christ's return. They didn't want it to happen, and so they denied its reality. But I wonder, will that prevent it from happening? What do you think? Then there were those who were anticipating the coming of Christ living in reality, living with the awareness that Christ was coming back. He was writing to believers who were living in light 
of the gospel, the light of the gospel, aware that Christ would someday return. They were not scoffing. They were not asleep, as we notice here in verse 6. They were living in anticipation, and they would not be caught unawares. So we might ask them, well, why was Paul writing to these people if they were aware of Christ's coming, if they were preparing, if they were alert? Well, as we notice, in light of the uncertainty of the time, as we note in verse 1, Paul was urging these people to continued alertness and carefulness in their living as they awaited this event. He was encouraging them not to grow lax in their anticipation and not to allow the lesser things of life to derail the more important. He was encouraging them to keep the reality and the imminence of this event <clears throat> front and center in their thinking. Now we know <clears throat> how easy it is to allow other things to crowd out the reality of Christ's return. We get involved in the things of life. And yeah, we give credence to the fact that Christ is returning, but is it front and center in our daily thinking? We need to be continually alert. There was another factor here that Paul was encouraging among these people. Alertness was one and carefulness was another. Another factor in his concern. Coupled with the urgency or the need to be alert, they were to live carefully. Not allowing things into their lives that would have the potential to damage their relationship to Christ. Notice what he says here in verse 22, just prior to our text verse. He says they were to abstain from all appearance of evil, not only evil itself, but from the appearance of evil. They were to live carefully. Paul was saying, don't allow anything into your life to mar your relationship to the Lord Jesus. And that leads then to our next step, the next step in Paul's admonition, and that is what we notice in verse 23, sanctification. He says, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. May the God of peace sanctify you wholly. Sanctification simply means holiness of life and character. Now, when we come to Christ, to the Lord Jesus for salvation, and open our life to him, he cleans us up and cleans us out. He takes away the filth of sin and makes us pure, a fit dwelling place for his Holy Spirit, as we read in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Only God can do that. That is his work. That is what we would call immediate sanctification, the purification of the life when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts as our Savior and Lord. But then he expects us to grow in holiness. Just as a baby 
grows and matures and develops. So the babe in Christ, the one who comes immediately for cleansing, is expected to grow and develop in his walk with the Lord. Second Peter 3.18 tells us that we must grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian life, as we know, is one of continual growth and spiritual development. We do not stay where we get in. A little boy once fell out of bed, and as his mother was putting him back in, she said, Sonny, why did you fall out? He said, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And too many believers are that way. They stay too close to where they get in. The Lord expects us, as we come to him, to grow in our understanding of him and the application of his principles to life. <clears throat> Paul, as we notice here in verse 22, urged them to abstain from the appearance of evil, evil and the, and the purity resulting from sanctification simply don't mix. Purification of life is a continual process. The unholy must be kept out. And that's why Paul prays that God will sanctify them wholly, completely, or through and through as the NIV states. God wants the whole man to be sanctified, to be made pure and clean. Notice that Paul viewed man here as a trichotomous being, spirit, soul, and body. <clears throat> Involving both the tangible and the intangible aspects of life. So let's just for a bit examine these three elements and see how they fit in with Paul's desire that these people be wholly sanctified. The spirit is the, the rational, intelligent part of man. It's the inner being of man, the part invest, uh, possessing God consciousness, the conscious, conscience. It's the immortal aspect of man's being, the part that returns to God when life in the body ceases. As we note in Ecclesiastes 12:7, where it says the dust returns to the earth, but the spirit will return to God who gave it. That's the spirit, the rational, intelligent part of man. The soul as described here, is the basic life principle, that which becomes extinct at death. It is self-consciousness or awareness, that which relates to the physical world. And the body, of course, then, is the outward man, the physical tab tabernacle, housing, soul, and spirit. I'd like to read a... a explanation of this that I gathered from my reading. I don't remember which commentator it was. To help, help us understand this concept of the three parts of our being. 
Here's what he said. The spirit, as our inmost part, is the inner organ possessing God consciousness. The soul is our very self, a medium between our spirit and our body, possessing self-consciousness and personality. The body, as our external part, is the outer organ possessing world consciousness. The body contains the soul, and the soul is the vessel that contains the spirit. In the spirit, God as spirit dwells. In the soul, our self dwells. And in the body, the physical senses dwell. There may be some controversy over the use of the terms, and some of them are somewhat interchangeable, and we always talk about the soul going back to heaven. Uh, Ecclesiastes says it's the spirit that goes back to the Father who gave it. But at least there are three parts here, and I hope you catch the, the significance. There is the life principle, there is the God conscience conscious principle and of course there is the physical body but Paul prays here for these believers that this compound being the body the soul and the spirit be preserved blameless till the coming of Christ he was concerned for the whole man the idea he puts forth here is that sanctification is a continual process involving the whole man. One must open himself completely and cooperate with God's spirit in the sanctification process. So we might ask then, what is our part in this process, this progression of sanctification that will yield us blameless without reproach when we meet Christ? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we cooperate with God in this process of spiritual growth, spiritual development, cleansing our growth toward holiness. God has done his part. He has provided salvation and he provides the means to sanctification, growth and development. And now he expects us to cooperate with his spirit in preserving our blameless state until he returns or until we meet him in death. So how does this then work out? Just what are our responsibilities to maintain purity or holiness of spirit, soul, and body? How do we go about it? Soul, as we noted, is the life principle given by God at conception. We have nothing to do with it, and we cannot change it. We are given life by God. However, we do have the responsibility to do nothing that would jeopardize or shorten or contaminate that life by unwise choices, or harmful activities. <clears throat> Earlier in this epistle, <clears throat> Paul speaks to sexual purity, to honesty, to peaceful relationships, 
All of these are issues that relate to a sanctified life, a pure, holy life. He also spoke there in verse 22 to the broad aspect of abstaining from evil and from the appearance of evil. So as soul and body are tied closely together, what one does affects the other. What we allow in our body affects our soul. What we do in our soul and our life principle affects the body as well and its longevity. The scripture speaks against those things which shorten soul life, sins such as drunkenness, sexual impurity, gluttony, overwork, failure to care for our, spirit, our physical body, which houses God's spirit. These are things which damage and may shorten our soul life. By contrast, purity of life enhances the body and lengthens life. The awareness that as believers, we are not at liberty to mistreat the body, which houses God's spirit, provides incentive for us for holy living and proper care of our physical body. How do we in the spirit relate? Here is the crux of life. It is here in the spirit of man where decisions are made. It is here in the God-conscious aspect of man's being that the struggle between good and evil takes place. It is here where life's direction is decided. It is here where God's spirit pricks the conscience when we deviate from God's known will. It is here where we decide either to cooperate with God's spirit in the sanctification process or to ignore his promptings and to go our own way and thus grieve him and perhaps jeopardize our eternal <clears throat> destiny. As I was working on this message over the last several weeks, one morning the spirit spoke to me and said, you know, David, you've got a couple books on your tablet that you probably wouldn't invite the Lord Jesus to read. And so what did I do? You know, in situations like that, don't we usually rationalize, well, they're not that bad, and certainly Jesus would overlook some of the language that's used. So I had a choice. I did the other thing. I wiped them off. Now, did that earn me any brownie points with God? No, absolutely not. But what it did was heighten my awareness of my responsibility to cooperate with God's spirit in the sanctifying, ongoing sanctifying process. We are works in process. <clears throat> but we are not alone in this endeavor of holy living. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 24. He says, Faithful is he that calleth you, 
who also will do it. <clears throat> he says that the one who has called us to this high relationship will not abandon us in our struggle. He will stick with us and provide the means and the strength to see us through to glory. He will do it. That's his promise. And his promises never fail. But we must cooperate with him in his work. So I ask you this morning, where are you in your walk with God? I challenge you to examine your life and your relationship, your motivations. Are you living in anticipation of his return? Or are you fearful, careless, unprepared, or unconcerned? Take stock. Are you preparing yourself actively for his coming or for meeting him at death? Are you alert? careful, growing in holiness? Or have you perhaps stagnated in your spiritual growth and allowed your relationship with God to deteriorate? If so, wake up. Are you cooperating with God's spirit in the ongoing process of sanctification? Are you continually, consciously rooting out those things in your life which may lead to complacency or spiritual defeat? Are you compromising issues which you know are suspect? Be alert. Do you need to do business with God this morning? Perhaps you realize that you have gotten off track, that you have allowed certain things or actions to supplant your dedication to God. Straighten things out with God today, if that is the case. Make certain of your eternal destiny. Don't delay, it could be fatal. And remember, it is God's will that we live blameless before him and are prepared to meet him in peace without spot and blameless. Perfection, no, but blameless because we continually open ourselves to the cleansing of his spirit and cooperate with him in working toward sanctification. Remember, too, he stands ready to help. Turn to him in confession, asking him to help you restore the relationship. He that calleth you is faithful. He will do it. He will see you through to glory. That's his promise, and it will not fail. May God bless you.